lost cord. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Wonderful hearing those stories, isn't it? Let me tell you another story. I'm talking about work this morning, but uh, here's a true story from a bricky mark. He was working by himself, so he had set up a pulley uh, on a beam and uh, he'd about finished the job and he had all the bricks left over. He had to bring them down. So he had tied the rope down the bottom, gone up the top, filled the bucket with bricks, come down and was going to let the bucket of bricks come down slowly, controlled. So listen to his story. I went to the bottom and holding on to the line, I began releasing it. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was and before I knew what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on since I was too far off the ground by then to jump. About halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and jamming my fingers in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground, the bricks spilled out and now I was heavier than the barrel. And so I started down fast. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and I received severe injuries to my chin. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts and bruises. At this point, I must have lost my mind or my presence of mind because I let go my grip on the line. The barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head, putting me in hospital. I respectfully ask for sick leave. (laughs) We're talking about work as it comes to us from Proverbs this morning, so I want to get you uh, thinking about work. So true or false, true or false, our primary role in the workplace is to evangelise. True or false? Listen to the sermon. (laughs) True or false, spiritual gifts are irrelevant to daily work. We're going to have some discussions over morning tea. (laughs) Number three, true or false, some work is sacred, all other is secular. Sure? (laughs) Number four, true or false, work is just to finance family life and, of course, God's work. True or false? And what about this one? The only valid work is that which lasts for eternity. You know the saying, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for God will last. True or false? (laughs) 
I'm not telling you the answer. <laughs> we learn much from our parents, don't we? My father died when I was a teenager, but as I reflect upon my own life, my values, my work ethic, my attitude, I realise how much my dad shaped me. Not by his words, not by his written words, but by the power of his example. He was a father who loved and provided generously for my mum and us as a family. He devoted his life to living for Christ. He was a businessman who worked hard and whose word was his bond. He was generous to the Lord's workers and the Lord's work. And I'm sure many of you have a similar story, that the person who imprinted and shaped you most was a father or mother who spoke into your life. And that's what Proverbs is all about. It's a father and a mother speaking into the lives of their children. Listen to these words from Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adore, adorn your neck. Or in the next chapter, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so the book of Proverbs that we're reading and learning from and studying is a guide of a father speaking to his son, but also there are words of women, mothers speaking to their children. And we want to follow through this morning and see what we've got we can learn about work and become work-wise. Now, before we dive into Proverbs, I want to lay a biblical foundation of work because I don't think we always correlate work as a biblical understanding and foundation for our life. So let's build a, a brief and a simple biblical foundation of work. And first of all, we want to say that work is God's design. And so we go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and we discover God is at work. And uh, in, chapters, uh, in chapter 1, we have God active in creation. And at the end of every day of creation, God steps back and Scripture records that he said, it is good. Now, the it is good there is not a moral judgment between good and bad. But he's saying, that which I have designed and now created is good. It works. Of course, we know that eventually he came to the fact that Adam was standing alone and he said, it's not good. It's not good. It won't work. And so he made a helpmate for Adam. And all the men have been eternally grateful. 
And uh, when we get over into chapter 2 and verse 2, we see here that by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So God is a God of work. And work is his design. And he establishes a rhythm for us. And in the Ten Commandments, we are told that there are to be six days of work and then a day of rest to celebrate what has been achieved and to worship God on that day. But then as you read through the creation story, you see that God gives us work to do. So here is the divine design. God works. We work. And we are to do the work of God. And so the description of our job is in chapter 1 and verse 28 of Genesis. God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then he goes on to say, this is your work. And so it's a part of our design that we are to work. And in chapter uh, 2 and verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So right from creation, we are designed for work. It's not a punishment. It's not a curse. It's not even a necessary evil, as sometimes we jokingly call it. It interrupts our holidays. It's in our DNA. It's part of God's design. And Timothy Keller said this, According to the Bible, we don't merely need the money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. So for you and me to be a wholly rounded person, we need to understand there is a place for work. Now, work also gives dignity, and we get this from, again, the creation story, because we are made in the image of God. And when we are made in the image of God, if God is a creative God who works, then we who are made in his image are going to be creative people, and we too will want to work. And uh, it's interesting, some of the descriptors of God that you pick out from scripture are these he's creator he's a gardener we have creative people here in this congregation we have gardeners we have rulers we have servants we have carpenters we have teachers we have healers so the way that you and i work reflects the image of our creator god and that's what brings dignity to work we are reflecting the character of our God. And also, it's by our work that God has designed that we get our food. And this too brings dignity. And uh, in Genesis 1, 29, uh, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. This will be yours for food. 
So he says, I want you to look after my creation. And then from that creation, you will be nourished and sustained. You will be fed. And then over in chapter 9, when, when uh, the world sort of gets going again after the cleansing of the flood, God says, uh, Genesis 9, Then the Lord blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. They are the words back from Genesis 1. Fear, the fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and upon every creature that moves in the ground, the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Have you ever heard the saying, don't give the man a fish, teach him how to fish? You see, that's where it comes from. There is dignity in working. And then out of that work, we are sustained and nourished. And of course, as Christians, we are given gifts and we are to use them for the common good. So if I have any capacity given to me by God, it is not just for my benefit. It is for the common good. It is to bring blessing to others. All work has dignity. But then comes the problem. The design of God is then challenged because work falls under sin's curse. And Adam and Eve are in the garden. They are given one limitation. We know the story. But Adam and Eve assumed the position of God. And they said, look, no, God, we know. I know what's best for me. And I will partake of the forbidden fruit. It doesn't matter where the tree was. It doesn't matter what the fruit was. The issue was Adam and Eve, like you and I continue to do, was assuming the position of God and saying, we know best. I will captain my own destiny. Choices have consequences. And so the curse of sin comes upon all mankind and work is cursed. And in Genesis 3, verses 15 through 19, we get the curse uh, spelled out by God. Now, I, came from a, I come from another generation. In fact, uh, like some of you, I come from another millennium. And uh, when Anne was giving birth, in that millennium, we did not go to hospital to, to be part of it. We men stayed home. And so we would wait by the phone, and every now and again, every, you know, every five minutes, you're ringing up, any action there? And, you know, finally I get a response from an exasperated nurse. And she doesn't say to me, Anne has gone into joyful excitement. No, she said, Anne has gone into hard labour. Sin's curse. And then for the man, for Adam, he was told there would be painful toil, there's going to be thorns, there's thistles, there's the sweat of your brow. And ever since that faithful day, Birth has had its pains 
and earth has demanded its sweat. And so our work proves to be fruitless at times, frustrating. And nature dishes up droughts and floods and fires. And technology gives us outages and viruses. And workplaces fester with misunderstanding, broken relationships, stress, conflict, vindictiveness, workaholism, corruption, exploitation, abuse. And ultimately, Solomon says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's meaningless. Listen to these words from Bob Thune. I don't know who Bob Thune is, but they're good words. It's important that we see both the goodness of work in God's original creation and the struggle of work under the fall. If we only see good in work, we'll be frustrated when things don't go as they should. If we only see bad, we'll have a hard time doing our work to the glory of God. Work is not all good and it's not all bad. Work is part of God's creation which has been tainted by the fall and God is at work redeeming work. So as we continue to lay our foundation, God's design and the dignity of work has come under the curse of sin. It needs to be redeemed. And that's what Jesus does. And we've already celebrated the work of Christ. And in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, in verse 4, he says, Father, I've finished the work you gave me to do. Now, what was the work of Jesus? He was later on in John chapter 19 able to say, it is finished as he offered up his spirit. His work was to bring salvation to men and women who were under the curse. And that's all of us. And a part of that redemption is to redeem the work and the workplace. And so Jesus has planted his kingdom in my heart. He's planted his kingdom in your heart. And that's what the kingdom parables were about earlier this year. The transformation begins to take place in the individual. And as I am changed and as you are changed, we take the change into the world and we redeem our work and our workplaces. And so the Apostle Paul writes a lot about this. Listen to these words or follow with me. Uh, in Ephesians 4.28, he says, The one who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that, um, that he may have something to share with those who are in need. Or then over in the next chapter, chapter 6, um, and verses 5 through 9, slaves, or we could say employees, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, 
just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of of God from your heart. Serve, work wholeheartedly as if you were serving and working for the Lord, not for men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And so employees, we are now doing our work for God. Work is being redeemed. But then a word for the masters, the employers. And masters, employers, treat your workers in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. If you're an employer this morning, remember you are God's employee and through you, he wants the workplace to be redeemed. And that transformation continues to take place and Paul writes about it again and I love these words from 1 Thessalonians 4. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And then uh, over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, Paul uh, writes again a, a lot about work and he said, you've seen my example when I lived among you. I could have demanded that you pay me, but he said, I didn't. I worked hard. And then uh, he said, we uh, hear there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus uh, to settle down and to earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of what is doing, uh, what is right. And so you and I are to redeem our workplace. And it's this this conviction that brought about a saying that you've probably heard, a Protestant work ethic. Have you heard that statement? Protestant work ethic. And it comes out of the Reformation of the 1500s when the church came back to the scripture and began to discover that God's word has something to say about work. And under the teachings of... of, um, Uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, this whole idea of hard work, discipline and frugality came into the economies of the nations where the Reformation was strongest. And we are beneficiaries of that here in Australia. Much of Central Europe, around Germany and some of those places we still call Germany one of the economic powerhouses of the world. It goes back to its roots in the Reformation. And uh, America and England and now Australia, we are blessed because of the Protestant work ethic that is based in Scripture. And you watch what happens to a nation that rejects God. We lose the work ethic. And so we are to work with God. Kingdom living is redeeming work. I want to give you some examples 
of kingdom living that I, I have known or seen, some of it from members of this church and some from friends. We know a mother who has a sign at her sink. Divine service takes place here three times a day. Redeeming work. Sharon was keeping vigil, a vigil beside her mother's bed just the other week. And in a moment of distress, an angel disguised as a nurse came and wrapped Sharon up in her arms and prayed for her. Redeeming work. Andy was talking last Sunday of sharing with his teachers why I believe in God. Redeeming work. Anne, another Anne, is a teacher, but she's in a state school. She can't talk about God, but she said, they can't stop me from praying for my 25 kids and their families. Redeeming work. What about Steve, uh, Steve Ronalds and Sally Jones through Gippsland, Jersey, helping dairy farmers struggling with mental health? Redeeming work. I know uh, a young fellow in another church who, who has won the Barista Award for Victoria, whatever that is, but uh, coffee drinkers will understand. But when he serves coffee, Chucky gives you a smile that goes from ear to ear and a word of encouragement. He's redeeming work. There's a businessman who does a deal and he is scrupulously honest and absolutely committed to the best for his client. Redeeming work. There's an honest second-hand car salesman. Yes, Redeeming work. A dentist in a low socio-economic suburb who has a sliding scale of dentistry fees. Redeeming work. A doctor who is not intent on in six minutes writing a prescription and pushing you out to get the next sickie in. It doesn't matter if it takes half an hour or more. He wants to get to the underlying issue. Redeeming work. So there is a foundation for work. Now we're ready for Proverbs. And we're not going to take long. And when we say work, let's not just think paid employment. Let's look at work from God's perspective. Anything that requires effort and focus, that's work. It could be housework, schoolwork, caring for others, study, voluntary work, as well as paid work. And when Solomon talks about work, and by the way, he doesn't say much about work. He focuses on character not career, on attitude and not aptitude. And here are four simple characteristics of wise work and working wisely. 
first of all, we've got to be trustworthy. You see, you can only have a good workplace when there is trust. Look at these scriptures. And we start with the, the woman of great value from Proverbs 31 verse 11. Her husband has full confidence in her and he lacks nothing. He has full confidence. Trusting relationship. A man of integrity walks securely. He doesn't have to look over his shoulder because there are no skeletons in the wardrobe. Or 12.22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. And 11.1, the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. You see, if you're trustworthy, you can work, walk confidently and you know you have the blessing of God. And I know there's a... Um, Paul Anderson gave me the, the name of a tradie and he said, when he came to give a quote, he said, how did you get my number? And I said, Paul Anderson gave it to me. And he said, I love Paul Anderson. He's a man of his word. Bless you, Paul, as you redeem your workplace. You see, that's it, isn't it? Business done on a handshake. A worker who gives 60 minutes in the hour, 100 cents in the dollar and 100 kilos in the ton. And sometimes trustworthiness will cost you a job. A friend of ours in another church refused to fiddle the books as the company accountant and the boss showed him the door. But he was trustworthy. I know somebody else, and also an accountant, and the boss came to him and wanted him to fiddle the books. And he said, no, I will not. To fiddle the books is to lie to the tax office. And he said to the boss, you ought to know that if I am prepared to lie in the bookkeeping, then I'll be prepared to lie to you. And we have no relationship. And the boss said, you stay on. You're the sort of person I want. What about diligence? Now, Proverbs is written against a background of subsistence farming and uh, a hard-working uh, background where there is, you know, the seasons of sowing and harvest and so on. And so hard work becomes absolutely critical. And look at these. Again, we use the, the, the woman of Proverbs 31. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servants. There's hard work. 12.11. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment or 28.19 says he will have his fill of poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. And what about 10, 4 and 5? Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. There is a return, there is a reward for hard work, for diligence. And then the one you're familiar with perhaps uh, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. And so 
Solomon says, hard work is going to be rewarded. I knew a state manager of a, um, an insurance company and he said to me, the tragedy of the workplace is the lack of work. And he had an, an office full of, of workers and he said he worked on the basis that he would never get much more than between 50 and 60% effective work time from those people. So he's got to virtually employ two people for the job of one. Now, that's great for the employment figures of the government, but it's not good for the economy of the country. And so, hard work. And, of course, we live in the land of the long weekend, of long lunches, and sickies, especially, you know, cup day Monday, so that we can just slide into cup day Tuesday and make it a four-day weekend. Trevor was a new Christian and he went to work with a, a fresh approach and he got into trouble. Immediate conflict because he wanted to work hard. And the mantra of the workforce was work slow. It's hard sometimes. What about being shrewd and prudent? That's looking to the future. And again, we start off the, uh, the lady of, of 31, Proverbs 31. When it snows, she has no fears for a household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. I assume scarlet means puff jackets or something like that. Um, but you see, she's shrewd, she's prudent, she's planned ahead. Uh, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. A simple man believes anything. A prudent man gives thoughts thought to his steps uh, Proverbs 6 go to the ant you sluggard consider its ways and be wise it has no commander, no overseer or ruler yet it stores its provision in summer, gathers its food at harvest and 1522 plans fail for the lack of counsel but with many advisors they succeed a smart person learns from his mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Generous and just. And here's this final characteristic. Generous and just. And particularly to those without. A good work ethic blesses others. Again, the woman of Proverbs 31, she opens her arms to the poor, extends her hands to the needy. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. You see, God blesses generosity. And it brings justice to our world. This is a generous church. Because you see, we've been touched by the kingdom that Jesus is establishing within. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the generosity of this congregation. It's demonstration 
that God is at work in our hearts. To close with this story, John Stott spoke of three workmen on a work site at St Paul's Cathedral in London. One man is asked, Sir, what are you doing? He says, I'm earning a living to provide for my family. A second man is asked, what are you doing? I'm a skilled craftsman doing my best as I build this wall. And to the third man, what are you doing? I'm working with these men and Sir Christopher Wren to build a cathedral to the glory of God. They are all right. Because our work is to provide for us. But our work is to bring honour as we do a great job. And our work is to bring honour to God. Amen. Uh, Pete, it's 11 o'clock.